Today on Blue 58, the Packers and Seahawks are going to play in a playoff game, which has never happened before. Never. Not even once. Not even that game you're thinking of. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast at thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. And yes, hello, Seattle. We have played you in the playoffs before. It is not nice to see you again, and I hope your city falls into the ocean. I wouldn't even feel bad about it. Packers obviously have a very long and unfortunate playoff history with the Packers. Yes, I know there's that Brett Favre snowball game, but the good feelings from that one, I don't know if they can completely overcome what happened in 2014. Packers and Seahawks have a pretty long history with each other, regardless of what happened in that game. They've played nine times including the playoffs since Aaron Rodgers took over in 2008, 10 times dating to Brett Favre's last season in Green Bay. The Packers at one point won three in a row. The Seahawks won three in a row. The Fail Mary, the 2014 season opener, and then the 2014 NFC Championship game. After that, the Packers won three in a row. That includes Russell Wilson's five-interception game at Lambeau Field in 2016. Rounding it all out, the Seahawks won last year. Suffice it to say, the Packers and Seahawks tend to play some weird games. At the very least, memorable games. The Seahawks have had kind of a weird year, too. We've mentioned the overachiever label with the Packers a few times this year. It kind of fits the Seahawks, too. They came in to the playoffs 11-5, 12-5 now, having beaten the Eagles. But two numbers we look at as sort of predictive measures for how good you really are, paint them in not so spectacular of a light. They have been almost exactly 500 this year, would have been, uh, by expected wins and losses. They are 8.2 and 7.8 in that metric. They are 9-2 this game decided, 9-2 this year in games decided by 7 points or less. 9 of their 11 regular season wins fell into that category. But good for them. I've pushed back against the overachiever label this year. I would rather have my team overachieve than underachieve, so good for Seahawks fans. You got 11 wins. 11-5 and is a very respectable season. Packers have fought a little bit of the same stuff, too. Uh, I'm sure by now, if you're a Packers fan, you are tired of hearing about how the Packers are the most fraudulent 13-3 and team ever. Well, so what? They're 13-3. and And here we are. 13-3, and 11-5. and These are the playoffs. So it doesn't really matter how fraudulent or not fraudulent you are anyway. And these are the Packers and Seahawks. Let's go extreme talk radio here for a second. You just got to throw out the records because these teams just flat out don't like each other. Went very kind of Minnesota-Wisconsin there, and I can't exactly say why. I sort of believe that statement. I don't think the Packers and Seahawks particularly dislike each other. Practically nobody is left on either side from those bad Packers losses from 2014 and the fail Mary. But I do think fan inertia counts for something. Players aren't ignorant to how games are perceived, and institutional memory is a thing. The Packers have less of it than they used to, given the turnover that's happened in their building the last couple of years, but it is there nonetheless. So I don't know if I would say that there's a lot more to this game than just what's on the field. You don't want to bring history into it too much, but it's also not just another game either. And lest we forget, this is not just another game because it's a playoff game. And a win here puts the Packers on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. This is the real football. This is the pure, uncut stuff. The playoff stuff. 
And this is what we've been asking for for a few years now in Green Bay. I'm excited for this weekend. Nervous as heck, but I'm excited. Let's dig into the Seahawks. Starting with their offense. Overall, a very, very good offensive unit. Ninth in scoring, eighth in yards, fifth by DVOA. And it's balanced, too. They're fourth in passing and sixth in rushing. Stick a pin in that, though, uh, because it's not all sunshine and roses for the uh, for the Seahawks in their rushing game. Before we come back to the running game, let's talk quarterbacks, or the quarterback in particular. Russell Wilson is very good. He has a, had a very, very good season this year. He's completed 66% of his passes this year, 4,110 yards, 31 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. This is the third time in his career where he has had more than 30 touchdowns and fewer than 10 interceptions. Since he came into the league in 2012, that's only happened 18 times. And Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady are the only quarterbacks in the NFL to do it more than twice. For what it's worth, Lamar Jackson also did it this year. He'll probably be putting up a couple more seasons like that up in the relatively near future. This is the second time Wilson has had those numbers as well as throwing for 4,000 yards in a season. Rodgers has also done that three times as well. He is the fourth overall quarterback by DVOAs behind two guys who had historically great seasons in Lamar Jackson and Drew Brees uh, and Patrick Mahomes, who is just Patrick Mahomes. He's probably going to end up getting a like lifetime achievement MVP at some point in his career. It probably won't be the best season of his career. Maybe it will. But sometimes you see guys kind of fall into an MVP like that. A couple guys that may be usually ahead of them in terms of stats like Jackson or Breeze or Mahomes have an off year. The Seahawks will get hot and they'll have like a 13-3 and season. Wilson will have like an A-minus season for him and he'll end up with an MVP. That is not a bad thing to have happen for you. Worst team or worst players have gotten MVPs for worse reasons than that. This is a very, very good quarterback and he really makes things go for the Seahawks offense. At running back, though, they're in a little bit of a weird spot. They've had so many injuries at running back, they've had to bring back a couple names from the past. And the Seahawks are kind of to running backs what the Packers are to tight ends. If this was 2014, they might have the best running back group in the league. Marshawn Lynch is back. Robert Turbin is back. And I don't have much to say about either of those guys other than this. Running backs at 30-plus are generally a bad bet. But if you're going to add a running back who's on the wrong side of 30 years old, doing it late in the season and letting him kind of work up a little bit of a lather down the stretch is probably the way to do it. If you had signed 33-year-old Marshawn Lynch in like, say, July, chances are what? He gives you two or three good games that year at most. So why not just save all those good games for January anyway? I believe fresh legs are a thing. Uh, So maybe that's how things work out for the Seahawks. There's also... Travis Homer there, take that for whatever it's worth. He had 11 carries for 12 yards last week. Not super exciting. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, for what it's worth, had six carries for seven yards. Also not super exciting either. The noteworthy thing here is that Chris Carson is out um, for the Seahawks, and he gave them quite a bit in the passing game. That could be the real story, in addition to what they, they bring in the running game. Uh, the Seahawks could be hurting as far as throwing the ball to their backs this weekend. At tight end, no super notable names here. Jacob Hollister gets the bulk of the reps at tight end, playing a big role for the first time in his career, crossed 500 snaps for the first time this year in his third season. Had 41 catches this year for 349 yards and three touchdowns. It's only three and a, or eight and a half yards, excuse me, per catch, 
but he also had only one drop this year. That's like a Richard Rodgers-esque stat line. He's not going to get you very far down the field, but if you're throwing the ball, you're going to get a catch there for sure. At wide receiver for the Seahawks, Tyler Lockett is the stake. DK Metcalf is the sizzle. Lockett was a third-round pick for the Seahawks in 2015 and has really developed into a solid, solid receiver. He had a career high in targets this year with 110, a career high in yards with 1,087. He also put up four 100-yard games in addition to scoring eight touchdowns. That's a pretty respectable stat line. DK Metcalf, meanwhile, caught a lot of flack from the draft knowers this spring, including a little bit from this podcast, in the interest of full disclosure, for posting some downright terrible agility numbers. But turns out that doesn't really matter if you use them right. Turns out NFL coaches kind of know what they're doing a little bit. He had 900 yards on just 58 catches this year at a big game against the Eagles in the first round of the playoffs. 43 of his 58 catches this year went for first downs or touchdowns. The short version on how that happened is they just sent him deep a whole bunch. His average depth of target this year was 13 yards. That's pretty long. But just sending a guy deep is is not a good strategy. Just ask the Packers and how that's working with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. There are more things you can do with a guy who is big and fast than just send him deep. And the incomparable Dusty Evely did a fantastic piece on how the Seahawks did a great job of utilizing both Metcalf's deep speed and just the threat of that deep speed against the Eagles. For Cheesehead TV, you have the link to that in your show notes. Check it out. The Seahawks' offensive line is nothing really to write home about. They are 15th in adjusted line yards for running. That's not great, obviously, middle of the pack there. 24th in sack rate. Pretty not good as well. 28th in ESPN's pass block win rate. Also not super special. You really want to pay attention to the interior here. Kenny Clark is going to be going up against center just uh, Joey Hunt. Uh, Hunt, a midseason replacement for Justin Britt. Clark, of course, though, is dealing with a bit of a back injury. It remains to be seen how effective he may be this week. But you should look for Mike Pettin to rotate Zadarius Smith over Hunt a lot this week. I would expect to see him rushing from the inside a lot. On defense... Overall, a very respectable but not spectacular unit for the Seahawks. This is not the Legion of Boom Seahawks. But you know what? Let's not act like say, saying that is making some kind of a point. I've seen that a lot this this year and, and ever since really the, the Legion of Boom kind of uh, fell apart for the Seahawks or those guys went their separate ways or retired or whatever. You know who's not the Legion of Boom? Like every team who has ever played. That's a unique generational group of players. You have two Hall of Famers in the secondary, and Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman. And like 14 other players on top of that who range from solid to Pro Bowl level. That's just a good group of players. So saying that a defense is not as good as that defense, well, yeah, most defenses aren't. Almost all defenses in NFL history haven't been as good as they were at their peak. This defense is still very respectable, if a little bit mixed in their overall results. They were 22nd in points allowed this year, 26th in yards, 3rd in takeaways. Keep an eye on that. They're 26th in red zone scoring, which is also something you'll want to keep an eye on this year if the Packers, or this week if the Packers can manage to get down to the red zone. They have a good chance of coming away with points. The Seahawks are 18th by DVOA, 15th against the pass, 18th against the run. Again, pretty mixed results there. And they don't really have a standout player from a typical counting stats perspective either. Nobody on this team has more than three sacks. Nobody's putting up like big interception numbers either. But I think there's there's a little bit to be said about this a, a team like this being more than the sum of its parts. 
especially in the playoffs, because the good individual players they have seem like they could really alter the course of the game, and we'll talk about a couple of them here. The defensive line is a deep group, even if there's nobody who's putting up big numbers. Rasheem Green has those the team lead with those four sacks. Quinton Jefferson has three and a half. He's second on the team with 10 quarterback hits. Even former Lion Ziggy Ons is kicking around with two and a half sacks, though he is a bit injured, which I know is going to be a huge shocker. And that's just the ends. Al Wilson and Jaron Reed are worth watching at the interior, but the big stick here for the Seahawks is Jadavian Clowney. He does not have big numbers this year. After being traded uh, by the Texans to the Seahawks, all he gave the Seahawks were three sacks and 13 quarterback hits, both at or near his career lows, depending how you want to count, if you want to count full seasons or all the seasons that he's played. It doesn't really matter. He did not have a statistical year that's up with his historical profile. But he still is a phenomenal athlete, and he does basically what the Packers ask of Zadarius Smith. He'll rush from the outside. He'll rush uh, with his hand down from the inside. He'll rush standing up from the inside. He'll rush from all over the place. He'll go against David Bakhtiari, but he'll line up all over the Seahawks defense and just try to cause trouble. And he did cause a bunch of trouble last week. He had five tackles, a sack, a quarterback hit, and two tackles for loss. That is a darn good afternoon, and it was a big reason that the Seahawks were able to win. At linebacker, I don't have a ton to say here other than that the uh, the Seahawks have a really, really good duo in Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. Having a plan with dealing with them is going to be hugely important. It's possible they're susceptible in the screen game. I've seen some people throwing out that idea this week. The Packers had some success doing that last year. Their line is better this year. Maybe that's an opportunity. I wouldn't count on taking them both completely out of the game, though. So we'll see what the Packers are able to do. At defensive back, you have two with double-digit ball hawks this year and Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin. But I think the real story is Quandre Diggs. In addition to having a cool name, he is back in the Seahawks lineup after missing a few games with an ankle injury. And Packers fans might say, hey, that guy sounds a little bit familiar. He was with the Lions for a while, and he played his first four full seasons in Detroit before the Lions traded him to the Seahawks in October of this season, uh, giving up just a fifth-round pick. Um, Obviously, there's not a lot of data on him as a result of not playing a whole lot with the Seahawks, but what there is is pretty good. He was only targeted with five passes during the regular season, but he intercepted three of them. That's a pretty good success rate. He also gave up one touchdown for what it's worth, but hey, can't win them all. The last time the Seahawks and Packers played feels like a thousand years ago, and maybe it is a thousand years in news cycles, but it was just November of 2018. And perhaps you could characterize this, I think, as the last competitive game the Packers played against a good team in the Mike McCarthy era. The Packers actually controlled this game for quite a while and led 24 to 20 with just over eight minutes to go thanks to a Mason Crosby field goal. But the Seahawks scored three minutes later to go up to tw- up, up 27 to 24. And on the Packers' next drive, Mike McCarthy decided to punt on fourth and two from the Packers' 33-yard line, and the Packers never touched the ball again. I bring up that play because of what McCarthy said after that game and then in his introductory press conference in Dallas this week. After the Seahawks game, McCarthy said he had numbers backing up his decision to to punt there. 
I don't know what those numbers are because most analytics would tell you that that is a situation you want to go for it. And punting the ball actually lessened the Packers' chances of winning. But this week in Dallas, he said he is going to lean more heavily into analytics than ever. Got a lot of people on staff who are going to be analytics focused. He says he's spent a lot of time over the last year studying analytics and adjusting his approach accordingly. We'll see if that turns out to be true, but decisions like what we talked about in Seattle last year would be a great place to start. So what's going to happen in this game? A weird thing happened this week. We run a a weekly Twitter poll about how people are feeling about the Packers. Something strange happened. First question we ask every week is how just how you're feeling about the team overall. 100% of voters said they felt positive about the team right now. 100%. That's weird for a couple reasons. First, because it's only happened one other time this season. That was the bye week. After the Packers beat the Panthers, we're heading into their bye feeling pretty good. It's weird also that this is happening heading into a playoff game that the Packers seem to be almost expected to lose. You're hearing all this stuff about the Packers being a fraudulent team and blah, blah, blah. It feels like voter confidence shouldn't be that high going into a playoff game against a tough opponent. But it is. And I think I know why. For the first time this season, I feel like we know exactly what the Packers are. In the regular season, as long as the regular season keeps going, teams can grow and change. They can implement new stuff a lot more easily, and you can follow those trends a lot a lot more easily because you just have more time. But that's done now. you got one game to put up or shut up. Whatever the Packers are, that's what they are now. There are no more roster additions, probably no big tactical shifts or developments. There's no more growth for this team. They, we've got this Packers team, and they are what they are. And it turns out people feel pretty good about it, at least the people who responded to our poll. So what exactly are they? What do we know about this team and what can we count on? Let's start with that defense. You've got a potentially very good pass rush. There have been some bumps in the road this year, but it's generally been strong and consistent. You've gotten pressure from multiple players. You've had great statistical years for Preston and Zadarius Smith. That's a good pass rush. You've got a secondary that it's, that's at least solid, and it's the first time in a long time it feels like we've been able to say that about the secondary. Not always good, but when the pass rush is there, you would know what to expect from the secondary. They can give up some big plays, sure, but they're also going to be competitive whenever the ball's in the air. And at least you have guys that are A, healthy, and B, know their roles and can execute them. Those are a few big pluses. In the middle of it all, you've got Blake Martinez. And if there's anything about Blake Martinez that is true, it's that you know exactly what kind of player he is and what he's going to do, and that he's going to be out there on practically every snap your team is on defense, because that's just what he does. He's out there all the time doing the Blake Martinez things that he does. People aren't the biggest fan of those Blake Martinez things all the time. I understand that. I count myself among you. But the things that he does are just going to get done. He is a reliable player, if not a spectacular one. 
On offense, we know the Packers have limited pass catchers. The time for changing that is long past. It is what it is. This is what we got. And you can win with these guys because the Packers have done that. We know they can win with these receivers. It's not always going to look pretty, but you can do it. They've got some dangerous running backs. You've got a guy who's in the conversation for the most productive running back in the NFL this year in Aaron Jones. Jamal Williams is solid and reliable. Tyler Irvin can get sprinkled in now and then without taking anything away from either of those two guys. You've got an offensive lineman that is, or an offensive line, if not an individual lineman, who is, who are, as a group, one of the best in the league. David Bakhtiari seems to be healthy and is certainly playing well again. Brian Belaga is out of the concussion protocol. He's having a great year. Corey Lindsley seems to be coming along with his back injury. Billy Turner's played more than 99% of the snaps for the Packers this year. He's been reliable, if not spectacular. Elton Jenkins might be the best rookie offensive lineman in the league this year, or he's right there in the conversation. That's what we know about this team. So where does that leave us? Heading into a key playoff game. Well, all playoff games are key. Heading into a playoff game. The first for the Packers since the 2016 NFC Championship game. I think it leaves us with one big question. What is Aaron Rodgers going to do? I don't think there's any other way you can approach this game other than by saying that Aaron Rodgers is the biggest question mark for the Packers. And this game is kind of be a, going to be a referendum on who he is as a player. The question for Rodgers this year is whether or not he can elevate his game in the playoffs to be at least an above-average player on a play-by-play basis. He hasn't really been that guy in the regular season. And that's not a, to say that he can't execute plays at a high level. We've seen Aaron Rodgers make throws probably five, seven times a game that nobody else in the NFL can make. But he doesn't execute consistently. He doesn't do the things you expect your quarterback to do on a play-by-play basis. There's, I think, an interesting debate to be had about whether or not the reason for that is just decline in play or, or something else. Sometimes you wonder if it's a question of ability or desire. Because the mistakes that he makes seem to be easily correctable, stepping into throws, stuff like that. But it's not a question, again, of whether or not he can do those things. It's just whether or not he'll do it. And now is the time he has to. For years, all we heard about the Packers was, well, when they finally get Rodgers a defense, then they'll have something. Well, they did. There are flaws in that defense, but this is the best defense the Packers have had in a long time. So what does Rodgers do with it? I feel pretty strongly that the Packers do not need Aaron Rodgers to be Superman. They don't need 2010 divisional round Aaron Rodgers against the Falcons here. They just need competent, consistent execution. He has not been able to do that. He has not done that this year. Not consistently, no. But if he can, I think they'll beat the Seahawks and probably beat them pretty handily. If not comfortably in the score category, at least feel like they're in control. And if he can keep doing that, the Packers can go deep, like all the way deep. If he can be just like a B-plus player for the Packers, they're a legit Super Bowl contender. But if not, this could be it. I think an ugly win is still doable here. 
but the chances are just as good that you're going to end up with a really ugly loss. So what is the pick? What's my pick? I feel like I can't do anything other than heart at this point. I think the Packers can win. Will they? Why not? Give me the Packers by a field goal. 23-20, to the final. The Packers move on to the NFC Championship game. So I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate listening in. Let's hope we've got a recap of a Packers victory coming for you on Monday morning. I really appreciate everybody who takes the time to download. Thank you for doing that so much this season. If you like what you heard here and want to help us keep things going, the best way to support us is by rating and reviewing on iTunes. It does help more people find the show or whatever podcast platform you happen to listen to. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is to donate a dollar per month at patreon.com slash the power sweep. That helps us offset some of our hosting costs for the show, helps us grow what we do, and gives you access to some premium content that is released only at patreon.com. And also don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you want to say hi, give us some feedback, ask a question, reach out via thepowersweep.com on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever, or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you choose to do that, I think that's probably the best way that you can really get involved in in making this show your own because doing that is going to help you advance the conversation and us advance the conversation around the Packers which of course furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans and as I always say smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.